Welcome to both Success and Integrity with Bessie Graham, a podcast dedicated to established business leaders like you, ready to bring more meaning into your life in a way that strengthens rather than threatens the financial stability of your business. I'm your host, Bessie Graham. I've worked with business owners, governments, and large funding bodies like the United Nations for over 20 years to bring doing good and making money back together. So let's unpack why you don't have to choose between experiencing success or having integrity in your life. Today, we are going to explore some of the wonderful lessons that our guest has had over many years working in different sectors that all have a a common theme around trying to figure out how do they actually have a positive impact in the world. And it's a unique perspective, but I'm really looking forward to introducing you all to Kieran. Now, Kieran, I usually don't do this in terms of reading someone's bio out but I'm going to read your bio because I actually think it's important that we really add some weight that is deserved and kind of honour your experience as it is. So it's never fun listening to someone read your bio, so I apologise in advance. But (laughs) you've had an impressive uh, career so far, so I want people listening to kind of have some context. So Kieran Boyle is the Chief Executive of the Impact Investing Institute, the United Kingdom's national body for impact investing. Its mission is to make capital markets fairer for people and for the planet. From 2016 to 2023, Kieran was the Chief Executive of Guy's and St Thomas's Foundation, which is one of the world's oldest health foundations. Through that period, the foundation transformed its $1 billion investment arm into one of Europe's leading responsible investors. Kieran was formerly the UK government's chief advisor on impact investment and started his career at the Boston Consulting Group. He is a governor of the South Bank Centre, a trustee of the Design Council and the chair of the Long-Term Investors in People's Health Program, which is a $7 trillion, with a T, <laughs> uh, dollar Global Alliance of Institutional Investors. So, Kieran, apologies for embarrassing you there, but thank you so much for joining us today. Well, Bessie, another way of describing that is I'm an ex-management consultant, ex-bureaucrat as well. So it doesn't really kill it at parties, but but that's me. But it's great to be with you today. Yeah. You know what's funny in saying that? A lot of people that I know are now in that category where even on LinkedIn bios and things, they're doing that like ex-lawyer, ex-this, ex we're we're all at that phase in our careers where we're like, okay, I know what I don't want to do. (laughs) Here's here's where I'm positioning. Yeah, exactly. Or or I guess some of what we get into is like how we bring the perspectives from all of those different places and kind of pull them together in order to, I guess, work in a slightly different way. And I think that that is actually going to be something that more and more people have to embrace over time. You know, when you look at, and I know in the work you've been doing in the last few years, you would have looked a lot at this, but when we we think about the potential of having a hundred year life, (laughs) you're no longer going to have the types of phases and cycles that were traditional before in careers or in go to university, then get a job, stay there, then retire. So I think you're right, that aspect of curating a really interesting mix of different things is probably going to be more and more common. (laughs) We met many years ago. I can't actually even remember when it was, but you were at Cabinet Office at that time. And we've had the chance to kind of connect here and there over the years. And uh, one of of my favourite interactions where we got to spend more time together was when I was the CEO at TDI and we brought you out to Australia and and got to do a bit of a road trip, you know, <laughs> around. We did, and uh, uh, I learned, um, as was probably fairly obvious, that Australia is a pretty big place. Yeah, not somewhere you can, you know, do the whole country in in a yeah, few days. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's not like kind of Britain where you kind of you just 
you drive for six hours and you're in the water, like whichever direction you go. So, yeah. yeah. But um, I think one of the bits that's, that's really interesting when we look at your career is most people don't actually get to have the opportunity to not only have different jobs, but to cross over different sectors and to experience that. And while I do want to go into some of those conversations and draw out from you some of the most fascinating aspects, what you're hopeful about, all of those types of things, I'm keen to sort of start the conversation in a practical way that that draws in and connects some of this to people listening or watching who are running a business. And what I would love to know is for someone who isn't looking to go into government or philanthropy or investment, but is really seeing their impact revolving around kind of an ecosystem that centers on their business and trying to figure out how to have impact in that space. If you were to draw on your broader experience across sectors, what are some of the lessons or advice that you would give to us as business leaders around two key things really, like where to start when doing this work and, and what are the things we need to be thinking about? Because you've seen a lot of pieces that could be warning signs and traps we can avoid. So I'm keen to kind of get you to jump into that piece first around where do we actually start from a business perspective to, to have impact in the world? Such a good question. Um, I guess, as I would kind of think across working in working in business, working in government, uh, working in the social in the social sector, particularly in philanthropy, was was the bit I, I was I was I was involved in. I guess the main thing I would say is that actually, it never really felt that different. So one thing is that I think it's possible to kind of see these sectors as much more distinct than they actually are, but there could be a way of working that's fairly consistent um, uh, amongst them, which I, I mean, at its simplest is, is, as, is as simple as saying, well, what is it that I'm trying to achieve? Uh, what unfair advantages do I have given where I sit in order to achieve it? And what's the group I'm going to get together to help me help me kind of use those unfair advantages to achieve something something in the world? Um, uh, and what became very clear, kind of working in these different places, is that um, some things are different. Like you have different tools available to you. So if you're working in a business. Um, uh, you'll have know-how, you may have resources, you'll have insights um, uh, into things that you're doing in the world that you could you could do more of, you could do slightly differently, you could do in a different way that helps you achieve more than one thing at once. So you can do that. Or if you're in government, you might have the ability to uh, to put on different tools. You know, in government, you can, op- you can op- often do things like just set the rules of the road slightly differently that kind of point in a certain direction. Or if you're working in the social sector, particularly in philanthropy, um, you often have the unfair advantage of time, right? You can think over a longer time period uh, and that makes some things feel much more possible than they might, might, otherwise, might otherwise be. But if you can pull groups together, then you can get all of that happening from wherever you sit. So when I worked in business, uh, spend time thinking about, well, how were we going to engage government and how we were going to engage civic society actors and some things we're trying to achieve. When I worked in government, it was about, uh, well, in what ways can uh, we find common cause with businesses that are seeking to make money and do the right thing? Um, And when I was working in philanthropy, it was, again, kind of how do we build up the kind of the right collaborations? and the thing that uh, always felt really important to me, and so nobody ever really told me about, was what felt most important was just finding people who had similar value sets to you. Um, and that seemed to be much more important than kind of what sector they were in, um, uh, what, in some ways, like what mandate their, their organization had. 
It's actually like, who are they? What do they care about? What are they trying to achieve uh, uh, achieve the world? And, and starting from there, um, it often became clear to me that uh, the differences um, between sectors were sometimes smaller than the differences within. So if you could find people who you kind of had a shared view of seeing like what's important in the world and how I'm going to go about um, improving it, you can just get some great stuff done and pretty quickly too. But we can kind of, I'm sure we'll talk about some of what, some like practical examples of what, of what yeah. that meant. Because it's interesting. I think those initial pieces that you framed are beautiful and, and I would absolutely use the same aspects in terms of like figure out what it is that you uniquely bring that you can can offer, but then that shifting into who else needs to be involved, what are those other collaborations or, or relationships. I do agree with you that at that point of figuring out what it is you actually care about and want to contribute to, that alignment of finding others who have similar values or the same kind of area that they're passionate yeah. about is critical. But how do you find... When you've done this type of work, is it tricky? The fact is there are so many issues in the world. <laughs> in some ways, it's easier when you've got a quite tight mandate. So if you're yeah. you know, running a foundation and you have a particular geography that you're working in and a particular um, kind of issue you're trying to contribute or solve, uh, that can actually focus your mind in a different way. I think one of the pieces that can feel overwhelming as a business is even at that where to start point is finding the alignment of what would be an issue that we do care enough about that we can commit and make a real difference over a longer time period, but also that aligns with we actually have some skills or relevant kind of pieces we could add to it. Uh, so those kind of pieces, when you've done across all the different jobs, when you've engaged in those collaborations and partnerships have you found are there certain ways that are helpful to pinpoint and pick something to work on yeah i, de I definitely i definitely definitely have um uh two things come to mind so um the first is to think that you've just got one brain rather than two brains. Um, so uh, it's possible, I think, in uh, when working in business or like even when I ran a philanthropy, we had a very large endowment. We, we It's an investment fund, so we managed it very commercially. So it was as business-like as you're going to get. And it's possible to kind of think, well, like you've got to have your business brain. And then when I'm thinking about kind of social cause, that's going to be my social cause brain. And never the two shall meet, um, which is bonkers, absolute bonkers. What what we need in the world is people to bring precisely kind of that that clarity of thought, that focus, attention to delivery, um, the willingness to measure, to get something done, to change it if it's not working, to be entrepreneurial, to pivot to those things which will work. You know, all of that side. We just we need that on everything, not just kind of. Um, how are we going to be commercially successful, but how are we going to be uh, uh, successful in terms of, uh, I guess, like a broader take on sustainability, sustainability of the business, but sustainability of the communities around it, and the world around it, uh, and all of that. So um, firstly, don't need two brains, just kind of, it's it, it's it's one. Secondly, I think there's, there is an element of, um, I've always seen, go where the energy is. Um but what I mean by that is it's possible, I guess, to feel like we look at an almost overwhelming set of challenges of what the world needs and feel like it's, um, it's down to each of us potentially individually to solve all of those problems. And that's just not going to happen. My worldview is I don't think that's how it happens. I think change occurs by lots of of um, positively intentioned actors starting where they are with what they've got and getting going. And, uh, and often it's by making this kind of a small sleep. So as a business owner, 
what does my business do? How does my business create value? And if I'm looking at that, well, what's the smallest tweak? What's the minimal viable thing I could do to that that might create value in, uh, in a broader context? Um, uh, to it. So, and it can be really, really simple things. Um, so, uh, who am I employing? Um, how am I employing them? Um, uh, who has access to my products? What more could I do to make my products accessible to a wider group of people? Uh, who's in my supply chain and what would it help them to know that I care about? To see if there's anything more that they could do to help me achieve those things that I care about, you know, these are kind of very practical places that you could you could start and get uh, 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 and get going. And um, often in the getting going is where you spot where the energy is. Um, uh, and um, I've always been a believer that nothing quite succeeds like success um, uh, as as well. And as things start getting a momentum to them, they're making very quickly start pulling in other people and then you know you get the cycle going yeah and i i think there's that aspect of not having the the two brains is so important because what i don't want to be giving the impression to to business leaders around is to say as you want to contribute or feel more of a sense of meaning and purpose in what you're doing that needs to be over here as a separate activity. Like you, what I am excited about, and I think one of the pieces that is made possible with a broader approach to impact investment as a lens, not an asset class, is to say, actually, the more we get into those pieces of how we're running our core business, not simply what are we doing with a percentage of profit or how are we giving something external to the business, that's where the change is going to occur. So completely agree with you that the opportunity that, that we have as business leaders and business owners is to start in our own house <laughs> organising and, and cleaning that up. I'm wondering, are there any examples you have when you were doing with the foundation when you did have a very specific both focus of, of areas you were trying to address and a geography you were working in, in some of those partnerships, were there components that were quite eye-opening for partners or people you worked with where they started to see the flow-on effects of, of maybe things they previously saw as externalities related to food products they were selling or different components? Like It would be great to hear some of those examples that might just bring it to life. Um, uh, I can give some really practical examples of it, but, uh, and then let's come, let's come back to, um, a point that you made that I totally agree with, uh, particularly around kind of this, this space of impact investing of, of how we have a mindset that, um, the commercial interest and the public interest can often be closer together than, than people may think. Um, but some practical examples. So, Yes, I ran a, a foundation called Guys and St. Thomas's Foundation. It was um, an 800-year-old organization. So um, what a privileged leader. I'm also kind of quite glad that having run it, I didn't break it as well. There's quite a lot of responsibility you feel yeah, with. absolutely. You don't want to be that person, right? <laughs> Proud history, I'm sure you. Um, uh, and what, what our mission was, was investing in a healthier uh, society. Uh, and I'll just give you a little bit of context to like why we ended up where we, uh, uh, where we did, which is that most of our health, um, is really nothing to do with healthcare. So three things make up our health. Um, uh, uh, it's our biology and genetics. Uh, it's the choices that we make. Uh, and it's the environments that we grow up in, that we live in, that we work in. Uh, and by far the largest contributor to our health is that third one. It's the environments that we, that we live in, you know, anywhere between 60 to 80% of our health outcomes are determined by that. Um, and healthcare tends to be about what do you do once people are unwell? Um, it's less about how do you keep people well in the first place? So what we did as a foundation was we focused really hard, uh, on how do you keep people well in the first place? And we took a very business-like approach to this or a commercial approach to this of saying, well, let's focus on certain areas where we think we can have an impact. 
Uh, and one of those areas was focused on um, uh, childhood obesity, um, uh, which is uh, a a real challenge in urban areas all all around the world, particularly in London, but you know in 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 every major in every major city too. And if you were to go after, it's a complex problem, uh, 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 obesity. But if you were to go after, like, what's the single biggest input to the challenge? Um, it would take you to food environments, and it would take you to a question, which is, uh, how do we break the link? Uh, between healthy food tending to cost quite a lot of money and unhealthy food tending to be the only affordable option to families that are tight on time or money. Um, and because of that link, you see almost a one-to-one match in, uh, in cities between poverty and high rates of obesity. Um, uh, some of us are protected from our wealth, from that. Some of us aren't. Um, so if you're going to change that, what are you going to do? You're going to work with those people who control food environments. So give some practical examples of the work that we did. Um, uh, uh, the work that um, felt hugely impactful to me was we worked with um, every major supermarket um, in the UK, every major supermarket chain across about 200 stores in South London, which was the, the area that we were particularly focused on, to run a series of nudges. So basically what we were doing is we were swapping out together really unhealthy biscuits, the slightly less unhealthy biscuits, uh, taking chocolates away from the end of aisles, uh, uh, putting uh you, you, the buy one get one free on carrots instead of on fizzy drinks. You know that that sort of thing. Um, and it was across two hundred stores. It needed to be um, uh, uh, across that many. We were looking at the till data um, with the University of Oxford. We were looking at the till data um, to see um, were people on average buying a healthier basket of food, and what's the impact on store profitability? Because that was the crucial bit. On it. Um, the, the crucial bit of it all was, is this economically sustainable? Is it commercially sustainable? And what we found out was that there's loads of stuff that you could do that had an impact on people buying healthier baskets of food that didn't lose the store's money. And in fact, some of it made even more money. Um, uh, what happened then? These supermarkets have just been rolling out nationally, to no great fanfare, quite a lot of these changes. Um, and so there's a whole, there's a whole load, there's a whole load in that. Um, one of, one of which was that, um, uh, for those involved in the business, involved in the supermarkets, they were very keen to do this work. One challenge, of course, was kind of the competitive element of it. You know, it's quite tricky to do this work on your own, but. What we were able to do by pulling together a sort of collaboration here was get a bunch of supermarket chains to do it at the same time, which resolved some of the, well, may we be disadvantaged versus our, 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 our competitors. And then they found out something that was in all of the supermarkets' interests, but also in their customers' interests. And of course, as business leaders, you want to have healthy customers, you want to have happy customers. Uh, and so they've been rolling, rolling this out. So. Um, I mean, these were tiny changes within a store, but at a population level, they have a really big impact on uh, uh, on health. So, I just like I think quite a nice example of some of the things that we were discussing. Yeah, and and a good example too of the fact that so often we are making assumptions that something's not possible, or that it doesn't have an impact, or that there's not another way to do it, and and just that willingness to experiment and try and go, okay, yes, we need to be thoughtful about the way we do the experiment so that we can kind of incentivize the right people to participate, et cetera. But I think across the board, that is such a deeply, you know, wedded pattern that we think, well, that's the way we've always done it or but chocolates do go on the end of the aisle. It's not our problem if someone buys it. You know, like those kind of things that, that we just have to shake that up a bit. Yeah. Were there, you wanted to jump back to the 
impact investment kind of aspect? Did you want to draw some of yeah. that out for us? Yeah. I, I, so impact investing, um, uh, for those who are less familiar with the cons- concept, I mean, broadly, it's the idea that when investing, every everything that a business does in the world will have an impact. Some of those will be positive impacts. Some of those will be negative impacts. Uh, uh, and impact investors uh, are, are looking to invest in quite an intentional way. How do you support businesses and enterprises that um, are having a positive social or environmental impact at the same time as that investment being sustainable? You know, sustainable in terms of financial returns, sustainable for the planet as well. And it's a very rapidly growing space. Uh, I mean, these are kind of, we're talking now, they're a kind of, uh, it's a trillion pound investment market, um, uh, uh, of, of impact investments globally. It's grown very rapidly over recent years, uh, as well. And what I think is important behind that sort of area that we're very focused on at the Impact Investment Institute, um, is because why is that growing quickly? Is because people have seen that intentionality as actually really important to shaping an economy that we can't need and that we'll all succeed from. So there are people like me who've been interested in this space for a long time because we might have like a particular kind of moral or ethical viewpoint that what is the purpose of markets? Like what's the purpose of capital? Not everybody agrees with my moral or ethical viewpoint, and I'm kind of fine with that. Uh, that's important. Um, uh, but almost you don't need to bring that perspective. Uh, and that's what I think is quite interesting about uh, the, the, this growing field of impact investment, or, although strengthened, I think, by, uh, by some of those viewpoints. Actually, what we're really discussing here is how are people doing investing well, investing that will create long-term value. Um, and I guess back to like this, perhaps a theme that we've been, we've been hitting upon is like the idea of two brains. Um, shows that you don't need to. And in fact, at times it can be problematic to say, well, actually, let me think about these things separately. Let me think about kind of my business life and what I'm doing there. And let me, let me think on the side about something, uh, I would do that will have social good. Uh, it may mean that you're missing the biggest possible opportunities to connect the two. And let me give a really practical example of, uh, um, of that um, with the foundation that I ran. So we were fortunate to have um, uh, an endowment, a billion pounds in size, so so pretty 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 sizable. Um, uh, and um, one of the questions we ended up asking ourselves was. We had a fairly common, fairly standard model for philanthropies, which is um, if you have an endowment, you invest your endowment, uh, you get the interest and you kind of, you spend that out, you give it, give it to people who do fantastic good, fantastic good with it. But we'd only ever spend out four or 5%. So what are we doing with the other 95%? What impact is that having the world, positive or, or negative? And got much more intentional about saying, well, let's try and use that 95% to support our mission around health. And that meant really practical things. It meant that we just invested more in uh, in healthcare, in life sciences, in medical technologies. It meant that we uh, invested in some of those things that determine good health, you know, things like housing or nutrition or employment. Uh, uh, it meant that we thought a bit harder about the links between climate change uh, and climate transition and and health. And we did all of this while knowing that we needed our endowment to be commercially successful because it pays for everything. But we found the opportunities to almost kind of extract uh, a bigger set of value to what we care about. Um, And I would love for the business leaders to hear in that, not that this was a charity that was doing this. I would say this is an organization that had a commercial approach to life, thinking about how do we increase the value that we're creating for ourselves and for others in the world. Yeah, and and it's about doing that examination of saying, what do I have at my disposal? What are the tools I can call on? 
in your case, there was an endowment and in someone else's case, it'll be that they have a factory or they have, you know, it, everyone has different things in terms of what yeah, capital or, is, or, or your brand, staff or, or brand. Yes. Or influence or influence. I mean, yeah. that was, was um, uh, one of my uh, great experiences in, in government was um, uh, I, often, I often thought that um, business actors sometimes underplayed their, um, their significance and their influence with government actors. Um, put it really simply, you know, the business economy, places like the UK and in Australia, um, is much bigger than kind of the state economy. Right. Um, uh, and so, um, in government, we were always, always like super keen to hear from businesses that were doing things that were mobilizing private capital or private activity towards some shared public benefit. But, um, uh, a lot of the kind of the best actors on that, I think, just kind of didn't always like see themselves as having a role of engaging with government. Or think that government would care very much about what they were talking about, whereas some of the examples were were, were great examples that could be replicated, or if government knew about could start to get a bit more thoughtful about what the rules of the road should look like. So I think there's um, there's there's a lot there's a, there was a lot there where you kind of thought, oh, perhaps one of the most powerful things that business leaders have is their ability to showcase like, other ways of doing things that then the platform that is government can uh can 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 res can respond to now i don't want to kind of be like super uh shiny or panglossian about it and kind of say that that's how it always works but i think um sometimes people's belief that it never works becomes a self-fulfilling kind of prophecy yeah well, and it also brings us all the way back to in the first question when you were talking about like how would you approach this, how would you start, one of your responses was around that piece of understanding what you bring but then also understanding what, it, what else is needed and who else needs to be in that mix. And I think that there is a really critical element of any of this work that you have to have both of those pieces because if we're trying to play a role in contributing to impact, even contributing next level down at an outcomes level, it's not going to be just you or just your organisation that's going to achieve that. You're not going to be able to claim attribution. It will require skills and other people and resources outside of your organisation. So I think one of the best ways that we can really get some of that momentum is to be clear on and own what you bring not feel any need to be everything or instead, you know, find who else is great, who does this well. And I think in one of the, the recent uh, podcast episodes, I actually referenced one of another fellow UK person, uh, Jeremy Nichols. And years ago, he, when he used to come out here all the time, and one of the pieces I loved that he would say that we needed to be asking ourselves as leaders and that boards needed to be asking the executive was not what would you be doing if you had more money or more resources, but what are you doing with the money and resources you already have? Are we having as much impact as we can with what we have? And I think that's an important framing because we can have these lovely theoretical conversations about what we would do one day or when we get to this <laughs> piece. And I think in the business space, that can often turn into conversations around, okay, well, when I sell the business or when I retire or when I reach a certain net wealth, like that will be when I give back. And I think part of this conversation is to just really um, plant those seeds and, and hopefully get people excited about the fact you don't have to wait till one day, like there are things you can do now that are within your control inside your business that just start thinking about it differently and explore what that could look like. And yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and one thing that, um, look, I think we're, 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 seeing, we're, seeing, we're, seeing, we're seeing globally is that there's an expectation as, as well. So if you think about these, the generation joining the workforce, or generation of consumers that are out there 
they're more and more thoughtful about about these issues. So there are there are there are there are good reasons to act based on kind of I guess uh, internal reasons around like why did I set up a business or why did I go into business? What did I want to achieve? What did I want to achieve for myself, my family, my community uh, around me? I think there are also kind of a lot of external reasons to be successful. I'm going to have to think quite hard about how I respond to consumer demand that's demanding for these things or to be successful in attracting the best talent. And I have to be quite coherent about what social impact I have, how I'm contributing to a positive future for the planet. You know, these, these are, I think, kind of, they're very real. Um, people may not want them to be the case, uh, but they they are. They are increasingly. And, and um, you're no longer able to give a kind of surface level answer and hope you could get away with it. I think, as you said, yeah, there is yeah. now that sense of, okay, and from a transparency point of view, could you give me some evidence that actually happened? Or, you know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. absolutely it's a different absolutely. world. <laughs> which, is, which is a positive thing. I know it doesn't always kind of feel positive and uh, it can sometimes feel uh, that you're under the magnifying glass, but that's not going to go away. Um, so uh, I think much better to get on the front foot in in response to that rather than be caught out by changing markets and changing preferences um, yeah. uh, is, as well. The other thing that I would pull out from the world of uh, impact investing that I think is quite relevant to, to, this, to the discussion here um, is scale and different types of scale. So uh, what's really attracted me to working at the uh, Impact Investing Institute is is to almost just kind of if I were to draw out um, if I were to take a fairly classic approach to thinking about some social challenges, I might say look, it's it's the role of charities to resolve social charities, uh, and I'd say that I don't know, like there's about a hundred billion pounds or so that sits in the largest charities in. Uh, uh, in, in the UK, I'm going to say, well, it's not really charity's job to solve all of this. It's probably government, isn't it? So in the, in, in the UK, the government spends about a trillion uh, uh, a trillion pounds each year. Um, I could then reference the 150 trillion that exists in capital markets and say we need to be kind of pulling that scale of resource that. I mean, cap- capital is capital, right? Capital enables people, businesses to do things, to build things, to innovate, to grow. Um, so we need to be pulling that into the fight. But the other bit that I find of, of interest is how do you know if impacts occurred? And there's lots of different things you can do, but one of the simplest ways knowing if impact is, has occurred is asking people, Asking those people who are most impacted by the thing that you hope to see, uh, uh, or by the lack of the thing that you hope to hope to see, and that can kind of found, sound like quite conceptual. Or you can say that's real people in real places that you can go talk to. Um, and I'd love for kind of uh, our business leaders to to be thinking in that regard as well. Of um, is there a sort of scale? That businesses can bring to these to to challenge to these challenges, but also effective businesses know their customers, have routes to their customers, know their employees, have routes to their employees, and there's something about that sort of um, uh, way of way of thinking. Again, you don't have to kind of go separate to what you know a lot about. Um, what you know a lot about can be your route to understanding whether impacts occurring or not. And one of the things that uh, that 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 we that we're sharing at the moment is um, the idea of what does a just transition look like. So if we're going to move to a world uh, that is um, climate net zero, nature net positive so basically a sustainable planet a habitable planet um well what's going to be important along the way and um 
to our mind, there are three different bits to it. So one, we need to be thinking about climate change and climate adaptation, all of us do. But secondly, we need to be thinking about, well, what is, what's the social element of that? You know, that, that transition is going to create huge opportunities for jobs and different skills. And that we can see that as a positive, which I think it is. But we can also see it as a negative that unless we get that right, the whole politics of transition is going to get very tricky indeed. Probably as tricky as to make it hard to see whether we will make the transition that we need to do. So if we're going to have those two legs of the stool, um, uh, climate and uh, social factors, well, we need a third leg, which is like, is it real? And that for us is where we think about the engagement of like communities and kind of people's voice in saying, is that impact occurring or, or not? And that, that to us is a method of thinking. Now, we're applying that to investments and we're speaking to some of the biggest asset managers in the world, you know, people who control trillions of pounds or trillions of dollars uh, of assets. But I think you can apply it equally if you're a business owner and say, what am I, just in, in the work that I'm doing at the moment, like what impact is it having on the planet? And what impact is that having on, uh, on, on social factors? And, and, and how do I know? Yeah. And I'm not sure what your thoughts on this are, because as you said, like there's a lot of work that needs to be done and I think is being done around that sort of at scale and listed companies and huge investment funds, et cetera. But one of the pieces that I, as I've been watching and again been in this sort of impact investment space for over 20 years now, and I, when I look at some of the areas where people are frustrated at the lack of traction that's being been achieved in that time, some of the components, if you think of all of those issues you just spoke about, that the depth of change we need, the, the scope or scale of it, the speed that it needs to happen to, to actually address some of these issues. Part of what I think is not enough of a focus in that conversation is the role that the exact people that we're talking to today can play, which is in that small and medium enterprise level you know, someone up to the 250 employee kind of size, doesn't matter what country you're in, they absolutely have a disproportionate impact on local and global economies. And the piece in my mind of why they're so powerful and why I've spent a lot of my career, particularly in the last sort of 13 years, building the investment readiness from an impact investment space of, of that SME category, and now trying to bring some of these ideas more broadly into the 333 million SMEs around the world is that the pieces that have made it tricky to get traction with those massive companies from an impact investment perspective, I think comes down to there's this disconnect that we're trying to influence and change and, and intervene in a system where there isn't actually the same freedom that there is for a small and medium enterprise. If we change the mindset of someone who owns a small and medium enterprise, they can change that business. If we try to go into a huge listed company, even if the CEO loves what we say, they have shareholders, they have a board, they have an exec, like the complexity of that scale in many respects, while they need to be part of the conversation and they absolutely are having massive impacts in the world, I'm excited by how we could get the traction, the depth, the speed, if we actually jump in at this SME level, where people who might be listening to this can have that impact and make the change because it's their business. You know, that's a powerful place to be sitting. Yeah. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree more for all, all sorts of reasons that I've seen, seen over the course of, over the course of of, of of my career um uh and one story that um makes the point uh when we were uh, when i was a uh, guys doing this work around healthier food environments um we did a bunch of work with convenience store owners um in urban areas that's where a lot of people buy a lot of their food from convenience stores like your local corner shop and uh, as we got into the work, um, 
I would say like the kind of the main thing that we were hearing was like it's it's so tricky to engage with convenience store owners. There are so uh, it's such kind of a uh, a dispersed field. Um, uh, the economics are really tricky to shift, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What nobody said was that in their communities, most of these convenience stores are seen as real pillars of the community, connectors within the community, known by everybody. And as you speak to the convenience store owners, they feel a lot of responsibility for the community, not just kind of the people they employ, but the people who shop in their shops. And so, yes, there were these challenges, but equally, you were starting from a place that actually, as you kind of started really engaging with the convenience store owners, they were up for trying different things. They just wanted to kind of get some insights into how. And it was such a, such an important lesson, I think, frame to precisely the point that you're, um, you're, you're describing, you're describing that the motivation was there. Um, uh, and by kind of pulling a, Groups together, we were also able to get like some shared action uh, going going as uh, as well. So yeah, I no, very much agree with you. Yeah, because I think all of those pieces and that example you gave, they're much closer to the roots of business in terms of hardly anyone started a business because they were saying, "I would like to tread on people's faces, make as much money as possible, and ruin my community." Like that's not the motivator of starting a business, and I think. While it has been that since the 70s, we've had this misguided focus on the primacy of the shareholder and maximising shareholder value, that's a very small window. Now, a lot of damage has been done and that mindset has become entrenched. But um, yeah, like you said, those examples, and uh, I could even think of one which happened just recently with a corner store type piece like you just spoke about where the owner recognized some kids came in and were buying vapes but he recognized their school uniform and knew they were underage and so he didn't sell them to them but he rang the principal and said I'll show you the video so you know who it is but just so they you need to let their parents know this is what's happening there was again that care of it's not just he's not going to sell them something and they're people in his community he knows the the school he knows the parents and those pieces of coming back to the humanness of we all want to feel proud of what we're doing. You want to be able to go home and talk to your kids or grandchildren or whatever about, here's what I've done. And it will look different for each of us. But I do think that we kind of lose track of some of that when we get overwhelmed yeah. in the hugeness. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I, think we, I, think, I think we do. And I, and I think also kind of what we, my personal experience, what we can fall foul of is that like, there are bad actors out there, right? There are. Uh, um, business doesn't have a monopoly on them. Um, uh, there are there are there are bad actors in government. There are bad actors in civic society as well. And sometimes there are good actors who are doing things that have a bad impact. Right? You know, it's quite yeah. complex. It wasn't intentional, but, but it's happening. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but and I think sometimes in uh, in that space, particularly with uh, with with business. I think it makes people um, concerned to push too far down kind of the sorts of lines that you're discussing there. Because I think people are probably worried about feeling a little bit silly for saying business has got great potential for good and, oh, look, like people have done some bad things here. Um, uh, Was I naive? Um, And uh, I, I worry about that. I worry about that. Um, that um, I don't think I can see any route to, um, in the time frame that we need, some of the changes that we need in society, uh, uh, unless we're able to harness like these these better angels, and and I, and I and I and I think they're more prevalent um, uh, as as well. Yeah, and it's part of it is the how do we equip people who are wanting to behave differently, wanting to engage differently, but they don't know how to. And I think this kind of comes back to one of that you've already touched on it um, slightly, but you know the piece I'm curious about in stepping into your new role at the Impact Investing Institute, where do you see those best opportunities 
in your current position now to actually leverage in this system? Like what are you focusing on in terms of where you intervene? You mentioned the the just criteria components. Yeah, that yeah. You've, you've, you've yeah, exactly. Ex- exactly. I'd and, love and, to hear uh, more about that. Like, bec- And why have you, as an organisation, why is that the area that you think is where you will have the most impact? Yeah, so, um, so broadly what we're trying to do is, uh, as an organisation, we're trying to mobilise capital and we're trying to put that capital to work, uh, capital to work in a way that will we'll, we'll, we'll have, have an impact. And so the importance of the just uh, tr- transition criteria um, to us uh, is... Uh, um, is a, is around making it easier for those who want to do the right thing who want and when i say do the right thing i don't mean kind of in a like charitable way just want to do the right thing for their business their their investors but also people in the real world you know just want to do the right thing that's what i mean when i say do the right thing um uh uh that's basically to help them and to help them be clearer and saying, okay, we want to do stuff that's supportive of a just transition, but what does that actually mean? Like, like how how can we help ourselves understand whether we're more likely to achieve that or not? So what what are some of the signals that we're investing in things that are going to be good for the planet? And what are some of the signals that we're investing in things that um, uh, will reduce social inequality in a way that supports the, the transition? And, and I guess kind of there's something what we're trying to do here is be very practical about saying you got an intention, you want to do something, what are the tools going to help you achieve that intention? Um, other areas that um, I get excited by is um, how also we, we pull together the right sort of coalitions of actors, sometimes in places, to enable investment money to flow to places that it hasn't before um and so like in australia across the uk there are a lot of towns and cities that for various reasons and communities that have been underinvested in um uh and um there are ways of pulling together um different types of capital um and getting different actors sitting around the table who can make things become a reality so that all sounds quite conceptual but what is it practically? This is about how do you invest in regeneration in places? Um, how do you get uh, a local government sitting alongside local businesses to understand what the needs and requirements are, perhaps alongside local pension pots? Slightly different in Australia, I know, but in the UK, there's some quite large... The superannuation, uh, though, in Australia, yeah. and you know, I think in any country, general. massive, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, but quite often the money that sits there, oddly, I mean, it, it exists for the purpose of a good retirement for its members, but quite often isn't finding its way to those very places where those members are retiring into. Um, uh, and so kind of working with pension pots uh, and sometimes with kind of uh, with government that uh, often there are. Um, really effective um, subsidy schemes that, or enterprise schemes that government will run. But how do you like pull all this stuff together to make it bigger than some of its parts? Um, uh, and that's the sort of place that the institute's really uh, uh, in, involved in. Is how do you get the right people sitting around the table from across sectors? So I guess back to that from across sectors um, uh, to, in my mind, enable the money just. To flow, there are kinks in the hose pipe, um, uh, and they're they're soluble. Like we know broadly what to do, uh, but we need to get more and more examples of them. Do them a few times, and once they've been done a few times, then more people will copy and improve them and uh, and do them differently. And that's the sort of space that we're uh, that 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 we're in, and and always on the lookout for kind of great examples from around the world of what this looks like as well, because there is there is so much. Um, uh, that can be achieved through that. One of the things I did when I was in the cabinet office uh, uh, was um, was be part of setting up a a, a cross government focus uh, through the G seven uh, uh, on what is the innovation happening around this this type of space and how can we learn 
uh, from countries around the world. That that thing that we set up with seven countries has now expanded to 40 countries um, uh, that is identifying very practically like in what ways can uh, impact capital uh, flow to that 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 purpose. I guess the reason I say that is that if you're a business leader sitting sitting here from a small or medium sized um, uh, uh, enterprise, uh, it would be to say that um, you might feel that there's not necessarily somebody doing exactly what you're doing. Um, in and around you, I guarantee you there is somebody else around the world who is trying to achieve exactly the same thing you are with a fairly similar setting uh, as, uh, as, as well. And there's a, an awful lot that you can kind of just learn across countries. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's exciting in terms of what you're trying to do at the Institute because two of the things that I have always appreciated about your mind is that you are systemic and you are strategic. And I think what you've just described there in terms of what you're trying to do requires that ability to look at the whole system, see what's needed, and then be actually coming up with, okay, how do we now implement? Like, what are we going to do about this? I'm curious um, to understand how are you balancing in that or holding equally the the complexity and the importance of the the work and wanting to make sure it's not just good intentions but it is actually contributing to these pieces but with that challenge of trying to make this practical and usable for people that they're not overwhelmed by you know because I think again in the impact investment space that's been one of our biggest challenges over the decades is not just keeping it a, an exclusive small group and we're preaching to the converted because it's so complicated and you've got to live and breathe this for decades to understand. Like, but it is important that people aren't just accidentally stumbling into causing more problems because they don't understand. Like, how, how are you trying to work with both of those places? It's such a, <laughs> um, I wish I knew kind of the full answer, full answer to that. I mean, just regularly asking yourself that question is probably one part of the answer, isn't it? And kind of keep it in, uh, in mind. I think there is um, a couple of other thoughts. So one is that um, the, the impact space broadly, I think, has to be quite careful that it doesn't come up with its own language that kind of just talks in codes that only people involved in the space understand. That's the exact opposite of what's of what's needed. And if you overlay onto that in the world of impact investment, you've not only got that, but you've also got an investment world. And lots of people are unfamiliar with uh, 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 this world. At times, you know, you say it's deliberately confusing, deliberately speaks in, in, in codes. That's to no great public advantage. Um, so... Uh, one part of this is, I think, kind of the clarity of communication of like, what is this for? What is it really? Um, and um, one thing that uh, we try to do at the Institute um, uh, is be clear on the why of this, because it can be quite, um, for any of us, I guess, if you work on something, you get, you get involved in like the complexities of it, you have kind of weird people like me who get quite excited by talking about kind of infrastructures and wiring uh, 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 and stuff, but that's a fairly niche sport. Um, uh, but if we can say why. Do you need more of you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'd agree. Um, but uh, can we say why? Can we say, uh, can we be uh, within the foreground, you know, uh, they're improving people's health or by improving people's health, I don't know, like more grandparents are going to get to play with their grandkids. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about here. And, and put slightly in the background some of the fact that we've needed to come up with innovative financing mechanisms and blended capital structures to, to uh, enable that to, to, to happen. Because I, 
I know less in Australia, but I think I recall from our previous discussions, there's a, there's a similar theme. In the UK, I don't think we've yet cracked um, a government seeing impact capital as a huge part of the solution. I don't think we've really cracked all businesses seeing impact capital as a huge part of the solution, uh, which is a tragedy because it really is. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's poised, it's poised to go, but that's not on government. That's not on businesses. I think that's on those of us who work in this space to, to kind of, to show the relevance. And I think that starts with why. When you think about this next chapter of your life and career, and you've just started a new role, how would you describe what success is going to look like? So if we were at your farewell drinks, you're wrapping up in. Because people cheer you out the door. (laughs) We're wrapping up in your kind of role at the Impact Investing Institute and hopefully like your previous job, you didn't burn it to the ground, you know, 800 (laughs) years there, you you managed to get away with that one. But for this next chapter, I'm keen to know for you personally, like what does success look like? What are you actually, what's driving you in this phase? I I actually believe that at some point, we're not going to be talking about impact investing. Um, I think that what we're describing here is good investing. And that if you look over a, a long enough time period, um, there's actually impact is only, it's just another way of understanding risk. Um, uh, and we're seeing physically in the world around us how some of those risks are materialising and destroying value, um, if we're just to be kind of purely commercial about it. Um, so I think it's go- it is happening, it will happen, that good quality investing will have impact at its heart. What I'm hoping that myself and my colleagues at the Institute can achieve alongside our very many partners. We're connected to hundreds of people across the UK and internationally. That's what the Institute's about. It's about bringing people together. Um, We can accelerate that. So it is going to happen, but can we make it happen sooner? And can we make it happen quickly enough? Um, Because um, there is a ticking clock on, uh, on all of this. Um, as as well. So um, uh, I hope that it feels that when they kind of boot me out of the door at the the Institute, um, that what we've been able to do um, is accelerate the speed at which everybody's investing differently. Yeah. And in that vein, as we wrap up, do you have one last sort of challenge for business leaders in that process of of what we should be thinking about or or taking up as our part in creating that speed of change? Yeah, it's that um I've worked across I've worked across sectors and the one thing that happens when you work across sectors is you you realize oh there's no there's no other group that's going to solve this, right? Because like you work in government and it's tricky there and you think, oh, okay, well, perhaps like the business world has got this. And when you work in the business world, you think, oh, well, maybe not them. Okay, perhaps, perhaps kind of civic society has got all of this. And they don't. And they can't. It doesn't fall to any one group. But it does fall to individuals and it falls to individuals in a position of leadership. Uh, uh, well done if you're in a position of leadership. Now here's... Here's what comes with it, uh, uh, and uh, and what comes with it is it's your job, right? It's your it's not somebody else's job. It's your job. Start with where you are, with what you've got, make something happen. You don't need to do more than that. But if every leader did that, um, uh, then that's how we're going to get the progress that we need. Absolutely beautiful place to end. Thank you, Kieran, so much for your time. Really, we really appreciate really it. Really fun. Really fun. Beautiful. Thank you for taking the time to listen to both Success and Integrity with Bessie Graham. If you found what I shared today valuable, 
or you think that it would be good for a fellow business leader to listen to, then please share the episode with someone you know. Another way to help the podcast is to provide a rating and written review on your podcast app of choice. The written review is important because it helps others learn more about what we're trying to achieve. If you'd like to get in touch, please reach out to me at any time on LinkedIn, YouTube or Instagram just by searching Bessie Graham or you can go to BessieGraham.com. I'm Bessie Graham and remember, you don't have to choose between experiencing success or having integrity in your life.